Welcome in to Outkick the Show. I am your fearless leader, Clay Travis. I hope all of you are having fantastic week one college football Mondays, wherever you may be across this great country, this great land. I remember, I remember well how exciting it was to wait for college football to officially be here as a kid. And I know there are a lot of kids sitting around everywhere uh, getting ready for college football. I know we had week zero, and we went two and two in our gambling picks. I've got a ton of gambling picks that I believe will be up first thing tomorrow morning uh, at OutKick. Uh, So just FYI on that. Uh, We got a ton of stories to discuss. I'm back home for what feels like the first time in a month. Uh, I was on the road. Thank you for making American Playbook the number one selling book uh, for nonfiction in all of America on its release date. Uh, That is an incredible accomplishment. Thank you to everyone out there who made that happen. Let's just start rolling here with all of the shows, all the topics. I want to say right off the top, too, Thank you uh, for all who watched OutKick on Fox on uh, last night at 10 o'clock Eastern, 9 o'clock Central, I think 8 o'clock Mountain, 7 o'clock Pacific. Uh, Tommy Laren, Charlie Arnold, uh, Riley Gaines, Enos Cantor, Mary Catherine Ham, everybody who helped put that show on. One hour special. Uh, I shared some clips if you didn't see it. Uh, a lot of fabulous feedback on that. I would bet that there will be more of those shows coming. Uh, but I just want to share this off the top. I've done uh, one other pilot. Uh, nine years ago, I did an OutKick pilot for FS1. I've shared some of those clips over the years. I embedded them in OutKick. Uh, I went to Morgantown, West Virginia, I believe, for the West Virginia-Kansas State game. I burned a couch in Morgantown, West Virginia. I can't even remember all the things we did. The idea was we would do a weekly OutKick show. This was in the early days of FS1. I think we taped it in the winter of 2014, if I remember correctly. Todd Furman was in it. Alex Curry was in it. We did it at a sports bar. In uh, the in L.A. near UCLA's campus, took over the top floor, filmed the entire thing nine years ago. I can't believe it's been nine years. It passed like that to me in like the snap of a fingers, um, and uh, that never aired. Now I shared a couple of the clips, and we had a lot of fun with it. But the actual Outkick pilot on Fox Sports never aired. So this one aired last night on Fox News. I hope you enjoyed it. Cool, nine years later, to have that story actually, that show actually out there. Okay, Uh, Trump has a trial date set for March 4th in D.C. This is garbage. So the day before Super Tuesday, make no mistake of what's going on here. Democrats and those on the left are trying to claim that they care about preserving democracy by trying to shut down the political campaign and put in prison the chief political adversary of the President of the United States. This is unbelievable. 
And to do so while claiming that you care about democracy. We care about democracy so much that we want the chief political adversary of the current president of the United States to be put in prison is an incredible argument to be making. The fact that anyone with a functional brain would buy it is absolutely crazy. Uh, This is madness. We should not be prosecuting sitting political uh, uh, office holders or, in my opinion, people who are running for president of the United States by the Department of Justice of the sitting office holder. This is all madness. Okay, 240 years, this has never happened. Whatever you think of Trump, he is not some unique political threat. I'll just give you one example. In 1864, Abraham Lincoln ran against George Britton McClellan. McClellan was the former commanding officer of the Union Army. At stake in that election was the question of whether or not the Civil War might continue to be pursued or whether instead there might be some form of, uh, of reproachment, some form of peace between the North and the South. Okay? Think about this for a moment. We had an election during the Civil War, and the chief political adversary of Abraham Lincoln was his former commanding general who ran against him potentially to stop the war. I bring all of that up because Lincoln didn't put McClellan in jail, even though McClellan was attempting to end the Civil War by removing Abraham Lincoln by beating him in 1864. For anyone out there who thinks that Trump is a unique threat to the country, you're crazy. 1944, there was an election over potentially whether we should continue to be involved in World War II. Franklin D. Roosevelt won that election. The election took place during the middle of World War II and concerned whether or not we should continue to fight World War II. Whatever you think of Trump, this idea that he's in some form or fashion a unique existential threat to American democracy is laughably absurd. This is the Biden Department of Justice exercising raw political power to put a man in prison because they are exercising raw political power. It's nothing else. And the media that is complicit in allowing this to happen and not raising their hands and saying, wait a minute, is this a good precedent to set? Is going to be on the wrong side of history. People love to debate, oh, are you on the right side of history or the wrong side of history? I'm confident that in the decades ahead, long after I am gone, long after every one of you are gone, and when the long verdict of history is rendered, I'm very confident that I'm going to be on the right side of history here because it's an awful precedent to try to put your chief political adversary in prison using your own Department of Justice. What is my evidence for that? Basically all of human history. (laughs) This is how democracies actually die 
when people become afraid that if they lose, they or their family will go to prison or be killed, which is now the precedent that is being put in place by Joe Biden. I'll just reiterate, everything that they told you Trump would do, Joe Biden is actually doing. He's actually executing true totalitarianism and embracing authoritarian rule. Just worth keeping it. Uh, on Thursday night, the mugshot of Trump came out. So, by the way, the Trump trial date's total joke. We talked about it a lot on Clay and Buck. On Thursday night, that is last Thursday night, the mugshot came out of Trump. I tweeted, this is immediately, I think, going to become, and I talked about it on the radio the next day, one of the most famous photos of all time. And I think there's an argument to be made that it's the most famous photo of all time because never before has any president had a mugshot taken. Therefore, it will be featured, that mugshot, for hundreds of years going forward. And I said, as I discussed, if you asked me, hey, what are some of the most famous photos that have ever existed? I don't mean portraits. I don't mean still shots of video. I mean actual photos. The soldier kissing uh, the, uh, the woman in Times Square. George Bush, I would say, standing on the rubble with a megaphone in 9-11. Iwo Jima, the soldiers raising the flag. Uh, Neil Armstrong on the moon. There are a lot of different ones you can talk about. There's four or five really popular ones right now. I think the Trump mugshot is going to become as popular and as famous and as iconic as all of those photos because of what it represents. We've never before seen a president put in a mugshot in the history of the United States. And so this idea that somehow the glowering photo of Trump is not going to be incredibly poignant historically up there as famous, potentially more famous as any photo that has ever existed in American history, I think is just wrong. And in fact, if you want me to put on my historian hat, think about how famous the still photographs are of Abraham Lincoln from Matthew Brady and his uh, group of photographers during the Civil War. Now, that was a new form of technology, but you can see in the visage, in the face of Abraham Lincoln, the toil that being president of the United States took upon him, the degree to which he aged. Lincoln used to sit in the telegraph office and wait for word from the battlefield, the absolute latest, most up-to-date reports from the battlefield, he would sit there all hours. And, uh, and this idea that Trump, Trump's mugshot is not going to become iconic in a similar way is frankly, I just think, wrong. And I think it lacks many people do, and this is the truth, this is why you study history, you have to have a long view of history to understand what gets lost in the noise and what becomes iconic. And I believe that Trump uh, and that photo will be still iconic 100 years from now. I think people are going to be arguing about Trump and his legacy long after all of us are dead. Uh, that's what the long arm of history reflects, right? Uh, the long march of history is oftentimes 
until everybody who lived during an era is gone, we don't get an accurate, less politically motivated take on exactly what uh, the history of the moment is. And look, people continue to reassess and recalibrate historical figures for all of life and all of our lives and beyond. That's what historiography is, the way that history evolves. And I say that as a history nerd and someone who has been in charge uh, of, of studying history and fascinated by it for his entire life. Um, several other stories that are out there. I wanted to mention this. We talked about it a little bit on the show. There now, evidently, as I'm speaking, is an active shooter on UNC's campus, potentially. There are far too many murders that take place in the United States. And there are far too many murder uh, victims, white, black, Asian, Hispanic, whatever background you are, there are far too many of them. But I do think what is also troubling is the degree to which every mass shooting that can be immediately turned into a political story turns into a political story. Let me give you an example. Um, first of all, I don't name mass shooters. Uh, I decided that years ago, unless there is a mass shooter who is trying to be pursued and it's important to know what his, uh, what his name is or what he looks like or what he's wearing and the media uh, is being asked to help in uh, the capture of that shooter, I try not to uh, talk about it very much, okay? But in Nashville, my hometown, back in March of this year, we had a mass shooter attack a Christian elementary school. Six people were killed, three kids, and three adults there. Five months later, we still don't have the trans shooters manifesto. The writings that motivated that individual to go into that school and to kill those kids is still not been released to the public. Because the idea is, oh, if people know about this mass shooter and what her goals were, it might motivate other people. Yet within an hour of this shooter in Jacksonville, let me be clear, his motives were vile, they were racist. I'm glad that he's dead, just like I'm dead. That glad that the trans shooter in Nashville is dead. Uh, I think these people are heinous. I think their acts are indefensible, and I think they deserve to die immediately for what they do. And right after that, we'll continue the discussion, but first, a momentary break. Within an hour of the Jacksonville shooter's actions, his manifesto was public, and we all knew that he was racist. And the White House was reacting to his motivation and immediately discussing it as if it were evidence of many other mass shootings, as if this idea of racism motivates a huge percentage of mass shooters. It does not. In fact, most people who are murdered in this country are victims of their own race, and uh, the reality is that we focus far more on race-related shootings than we do shootings that have absolutely nothing to do with race. Um, but why is one manifesto immediately released, motivation widely discussed within an hour? Why is the other one not released for five months? And why is it still being fought, the release? I think it's politics. 
I think if the if the Nashville Christian school shooter had been a white supremacist or a Trump supporter, we would have known within an hour or two their entire motivation, everything would have been public. And if you want to make the argument that no shooter manifesto should ever be public and we should not discuss motivation because that encourages other copycat crimes, I'm open to that argument. I don't buy it, I don't think, but I'm open to the argument being made. But what we see instead is, based on the political ideology of the shooter, it seems to me amazing how quickly the 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 story comes out when it is a uh, a, a racist or right-leaning shooter, and when it is, for instance, a trans shooter, five months later we still have no idea what the motivation was. Um, I wanted to mention this. Trump versus Biden. And I'm going to keep hammering this home. In the event that we see a Trump versus Biden rematch, will the vote totals be higher or lower than 2020? Buck and I got into a debate over this, and uh, you can see what that debate is. You can go vote if you are so inclined. Uh, And in particular, uh, around 5,000 of you have voted so far. Uh, I argue that less people will vote in 2024. Buck argues that there will be more votes. Uh, 59% say less votes. 41% say more votes. The way that Trump wins, in my opinion, I think there are three pathways. I don't think a lot of people are going to change their mind. I don't think there are that many people who voted in 2020 that if we get a rematch, we'll say, hey, I voted Trump in 2020. I'm voting Biden in 2024. I don't think there's that many Biden 2020 voters who will flip back to Trump in 2024, right? I think there are three ways Trump wins in the event that we have a rematch. One is lower turnout. I think if there is lower turnout, and I do believe there will be less than the 156 million people who turned out in 2020 uh, for the election, I think fewer people are going to turn out. I think the way that people will register their displeasure with Biden uh, is by not showing up. And 77% say Biden is too old to be president if he is running. I think that some of the people who were swing voters that showed up and voted for Biden will be less likely to show up. I think the Trump voters are going to be more motivated. I think the Biden voters are going to be less motivated. That's my theory. And we're looking 16 months out. Obviously, a lot can change. Third party. One way to win, lower turnout. Another way to win, third party. I think the more third party activity there is, most people don't want a Trump-Biden rematch. That is a huge percentage of the American public. I think there may well be a third party. I think the third party works against Biden because I think it dilutes the anti-Trump vote. Again, in my opinion, most people didn't vote for Joe Biden. They voted against Trump. Third is Biden's health collapses after he's locked in officially as the candidate. I think he could have a Mitch McConnell-like moment where he's unable to speak, where he freezes, where he has a stroke, where he collapses. I don't think, and I hate to say this, I don't think Joe Biden is going to be healthy enough if he were elected in 2024 to finish his term to 2028. Uh, 2029, technically, since a new president would be sworn in in January of 2029. I don't think Biden is capable of making it that long. I think he'll actually die. And if you look at 
uh, for instance, the uh, actuarial tables, 82 years old, over the next four years, if you make it to 82, there's basically a 50-50 chance that you would die in the next four years. I don't think that staggers anyone. I don't think that's stunning to anyone. I think you a lot of people see that and they say, yeah, that makes sense. If you make it to 82, which is longer than most people live, over the next four years, there is a decent chance that you would uh, die. I think Biden is not, for an 80-year-old, particularly svelte, particularly uh, on top of the ball physically or mentally. Uh, I think if he made it to uh, to 82, finishes his term, I think there's 50-50 chance he would die in office, which would make Kamala Harris. I think a lot of voters out there will think about it. I think Biden could have a health-related concern. Assuming he runs, I think Trump wins with lower turnout. I think Trump wins with a third party. And I think Trump wins with a Biden health collapse. I think those are the three most likely ways for Trump to end up winning. Uh, as I am speaking to you, much less serious, the ACC is planning to have an expansion meeting tonight to discuss whether to take SMU, uh, Stanford, and Cal. Uh, if they did, they would redistribute a lot of the money that ESPN would have to pay for SMU, Stanford, and Cal. Does ESPN want this? I think that's a real good question out there. My answer is I think probably they do. Because right now, ESPN has a very limited reach on the West Coast. Remember, ESPN doesn't have any of the Big Ten. So in theory, they're not going to get Oregon. They're not going to get Washington. They're not going to get USC. They're not going to get UCLA. ESPN has all of the ACC. I think ESPN would like to have at least a footprint on the West Coast in California in a decent-sized way. So I think ACC is going to expand, take SMU, Stanford, and Cal. That's what I would say I expect to come out of tonight's meeting. I think the money that ESPN would pay for those schools will get redistributed to the FSU and the, and the Clemsons of the world because they're going to argue there should be some form of merit-based pay uh, associated with that. I would bet that that is going to end up happening. Uh, over the weekend, Bob Barker, 99 years old. Bob Barker dies at 99 years old. I think I speak for a lot of you who are around my age that much of the 1980s and the 1990s, many of you out there who stayed home sick ever from school and certainly during the summer, if you were a latchkey kid, if you were home on your own while your parents worked, as I was for much of the summer, I watched a lot of The Price is Right back in the day in the summer. Uh, I really enjoyed watching Bob Barker over the years. There was something enjoyable about putting him on. Every time I was sick in the 80s or 90s when I was really young, when I was too young uh, to uh, be able to, uh, to go to school or stay home from school by myself, I would get taken to my grandmother's. Uh, my grandmother uh, would watch all of the game shows and all of the soap operas, and we would sit and watch Bob Barker and The Price is Right together. Uh, for those of you who remember 
the goal of the spin, there was a lot of jokes made about this, but on the spin, the goal would be to get as close to a dollar without going over as you possibly could. Bob Barker lives to 99 years old, one of the most iconic, uh, I would say, game show host, daily television uh, talent, period. He had that skinny microphone. He was always in a good mood, uh, always seemed to be rooting for everybody to win. Um, I absolutely loved watching The Price is Right. Salute to Bob Barker. Uh, I loved everything about uh, his tenure on that program, and it definitely takes me back nostalgia factor, as I know it does many of you as well, uh, to thinking about watching that show back in the day. Uh, week zero college football. What did we learn? USC, Caleb Williams, is the best quarterback in the entirety of college football. He's going to be the overall number one draft pick. You're going to see a lot of angling for him from everybody out there. He looked still incredible um, at, uh, at his job and how well he performed. Really good uh, numbers for him. Zachariah Branch, stud, freshman, maybe the most productive freshman, but if you're an SC fan, the challenge, I think, still going forward for SC is that defense still gave up a lot of points. 56-28 to 28 was the final. Still gave up 28 points to San Jose State. Lincoln Riley's Achilles heel for his entire coaching career has been whether his defense can perform at a high level. We all know the offense is going to score a lot of points. That certainly is going to continue. But is that defense going to be up to snuff? I would say early on, not that optimistic based on what I saw from the SC defense. I might be one of the only people with Pac-12 Network, by the way, who was watching this. Sam Hardman. I know it was Navy. I know it was in Dublin, Ireland. A lot of Notre Dame fans made that trip, looked awesome. I would love to make that trip someday uh, for a college football game. Sam Hartman, four touchdown passes. He looked really good. Notre Dame, we're going to find out a lot about Notre Dame in that game against Ohio State. I was looking at Notre Dame's schedule. No doubt now that they are better at the quarterback position. But if you look forward as we sit here in week one and you look at what happened in that opener, Notre Dame wins 42-3 to over Navy. I got that one wrong. I thought Navy would keep this game a little bit closer. TSU this weekend for Notre Dame, they're going to be 2-0. and Maybe a tough game. Would not stun me if Notre Dame lost at NC State. If they get past NC State, though, Notre Dame will be 4-0 and with, uh, with Ohio State coming to town, and that will be the game where we decide. Now, SD still on the schedule. Clemson still on the schedule. Uh, Notre Dame does not have a routinely easy schedule for people out there who think they're sliding through without any challenges. Sam Hartman looked really good. NC State in two weeks will be a big judge uh, of his overall talent and of Notre Dame's overall talent. Uh, and then we will see uh, what happens with the big Ohio State game. You remember last year, Notre Dame went on the road didn't have the horses to get the win. Now you've got uh, Notre Dame hosting Ohio State in week five, I believe it is, the last week of September. That is going to be a blockbuster game 
go ahead and circle it. Make sure that I've got the date right. Uh, next to last week, I apologize, of November, sorry, September, September 23rd with that game, Ohio State going to Notre Dame. Uh, Trey Lance, 49ers. Now, maybe people are not going to care uh, because it's possible the 49ers are going to end up okay at quarterback with Brock Purdy. But what they gave up to get Trey Lance and jump all the way to number three to make the decision, we are bailing now on Trey Lance, we are pulling the ripcord, and we are trading him to the Cowboys for a fourth-round pick. This is systemic failure on the draft. Again, maybe John Lynch, maybe Kyle Shanahan are just going to slide because if Brock Purdy plays well, nobody's going to be that upset. They're just going to say, well, we ended up with a quarterback. If you had drafted Brock Purdy three overall and Trey Lance had ended up getting drafted as late uh, as Brock Purdy did and performing at a high level, nobody really cares because the goal is to find an elite quarterback. And if you find an elite quarterback, it doesn't matter what you give up for them or the cost to get him. But Trey Lance to the Cowboys for a fourth rounder is one of the, when you look at everything the 49ers gave up, to get Trey Lance, one of the biggest swings and misses in the history of quarterback evaluation, especially to make this choice this quickly. Now, I know we had uh, the major issue uh, with Trey Lance's health, and that all factors in, but this is an all-time swing and a miss in a massive direction. Did you see O.J. Simpson Come out and talk about Vivek Ramaswamy. We had Vivek on the show Thursday coming out of the Republican primary. I watched OJ, and I think we wrote about this at OutKick. In fact, I know we did. OJ talked about the decision uh, of the Raiders to go and sign uh, their running back. He talked about the value of Saquon Barkley, running back salaries overall. And then he pivoted to talking about Vivek Ramaswamy. And I'm just going to continue to point this out. Yes, I believe O.J. Simpson killed two innocent people. That's hard to get past. He should still be in prison. He should have been in prison for the rest of his life. He did it uh, because he falsely made racism accusations, which a jury in L.A. believed. But O.J. Simpson, on whenever he puts out one of these videos, I thought he was I thought he nailed it on Vivek Ramaswamy. He said, look, I'm reading O.J. did, Vivek's book right now. Maybe O.J. will read this one, give us a review. But he said, Vivek said a lot of things that he agrees with. O.J. said, by the way, he's a libertarian, not affiliated with necessarily either party, tries to pick the best candidate, and he really likes Vivek. And he said the one thing that has him a bit nervous is Vivek's policies on foreign uh, affairs. And, uh, and I'm like, you know what? I actually think O.J. made some good points, so you can check that out. A couple of other stories uh, that are out there. Little League World Series walk-off. This kid on El Segundo, which is a uh, suburban area just south. I think it's still L.A. County. In fact, it is, I believe. But just south, it definitely still L.A. County. Just south of downtown L.A. as you head towards the South Bay, Manhattan Beach, all those other areas. El Segundo won uh, the Little League World Series. They won it in a walk-off. This kid hit a walk-off Little League World Series home run. 
when he did it, on the screen they said that his role model was his dad. What a moment for that kid in Williamsport, Pennsylvania, to walk off uh, with that win in that situation. Uh, I hope you've seen the video. We can probably put it up as a short-form clip here. I know that many of you enjoyed that as much as I did. Uh, Finally, they had what they said was the biggest search ever for the Loch Ness Monster for Nessie. Uh, They did it all over the uh, all over Loch Ness. They brought up more people than possible. My co-host Buck Sexton happened to be, by the way, uh, there at the same time. Coincidence or not, we we don't know. Um, But I did think that was intriguing in and of itself to have them uh, go there and put that, uh, that search. I love the Loch Ness Monster stories. I know earlier I talked about the fact that I, I'm an alien guy, right? I believe there is intelligent life elsewhere, and I believe that intelligent life has visited the United States before uh, and the world, you know, our planet, Earth. I think that intelligent life has visited Earth in spaceships before. I think that has happened. Not a Loch Ness Monster guy. I think the Loch Ness Monster is 100% made up All of the searches for the Loch Ness Monster have uncovered the same result, which is there is no evidence that there was ever a Loch Ness Monster. I don't believe in Nessie. I imagine the water in Scotland is very cold, but I would not be afraid to go swimming there other than the fact that it would be very cold. Not a Loch Ness Monster guy. I am a Aliens Have Visited Earth guy. I don't know if those overlap means that I don't believe in every single conspiracy out there. To me, looking at the evidence, I don't think there's evidence the Loch Ness Monster is real. That is how we will finish the show. Aliens visiting Earth, yes. Loch Ness Monster, no. You can take and share your own opinions uh, in the comments below. As always, DBAP. Unless you need to SBAP, uh, SBAP, I am Clay Travis, and this has been Outkick the Show.